Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 and KSTE.com. Here is Fred Hoffman. Well, happy Sunday morning to you. Welcome to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Farmer Fred here, Fred Hoffman, UC Cooperative Extension, Lifetime Master Gardener, Garden Columnist with the Lodi New Sentinel. The guy that does all the typing at FarmerFred.com, all the ranting at the Farmer Fred Rant blog page at Twitter.com slash Garden Tips. Lots of snark. Uh, what else? Um, my Facebook page, Get Growing with Farmer Fred, where I rant about the cold weather ahead. I will be ranting about that today, too. There is a freeze warning issued for much of Northern California, not so much for tomorrow morning, even though in some areas temperatures will dip below freezing, 32 degrees, but more so for Tuesday morning, where temperatures are expected to get down into the mid-20s, and stay below freezing, in fact, below 28 degrees in some areas as much as eight or nine hours. That, ladies and gentlemen, is called a hard freeze. And that's why uh, you need to remember all the things that, uh, oh, you're going to be hearing on the weather forecast and on this show and in the paper and wherever about um, protecting your plants, your pipes, your pets, all that good stuff. And uh, they're talking about overnight low temperatures of 24 to 32 degrees. I'm reading the National Weather Service uh, uh, weather message this on this uh, freeze warning. Uh, coldest will be Tuesday morning with widespread lows in the mid to upper 20, several hours of sub-freezing temperatures possible. These freezing temperatures, the National Weather Service says, and I will concur with them, can damage or kill plants that are sensitive to the cold. Consider wrapping external pipes, which may be vulnerable to freezing. Check on the elderly and make sure your animals have a warm shelter. We'll be talking more about that with today's guest, Cherie Sentis-Glover, who is an urban chicken consultant. So we'll be keeping your chickens toasty, too, in this cold weather. A freeze warning, according to the National Weather Service, means sub-freezing temperatures are imminent or highly likely. And these conditions will kill crops and other sensitive vegetation, as well as bursting exposed pipes and also freezing out your pets. So make sure your pets have a warm spot. Make sure that their water isn't frozen over. If they have outdoor water, make sure the bird bath isn't frozen over. And to help protect your uh, outdoor uh, hardscapes, such as fountains and spas and pools, it's a good idea to let them keep running during the hours of the freeze and the hard freeze. Hard freeze, again, temperatures at 28 or below for several hours. And that'll be from about... Midnight or so Monday night through about 9 a.m. Tuesday morning. But even tomorrow's temperatures, Monday morning's temperatures, will get down to below freezing, not in the 20s, but below 32 in many areas, and some not so. And it's just going to get cold. And, of course, I gave you the advice about one of the things you can do besides covering your plants, the the citrus plants and your tender perennials, and (laughs) if you bought tomato plants... Oh, I'm not going to tell you I told you so. But you can try covering them. See if that'll work. Um, Water your plants, the the containerized plants especially, because containers dry out before the soil does. But even with your plants in the soil, when you water soil, it maintains its heat better and releases that heat at night, slowly at night. There is one exception, though, to that rule And I'm glad that Sue in Woodland called in because I think this is what she's hinting at. Uh, Terry wrote down, hi, Terry. Thanks for running the board today. Uh, 
Terry wrote down, protecting potted succulents from the frost. And, and Sue, did I have an idea that you may be warning people not to saturate that soil? No. Oh. I, I am about to. <laughs> no. Well, that's actually, that I'm... I'm I will, I'll give you more credit than that, because actually succulents are the one thing that you do not want to saturate, because they would absorb that water and then burst in cold weather. So if they are on the dry side, let them stay dry until the end of the frost. Okay. Because I was about to um, fertilize them, and I have a lot that have just been potted you know, cutting. Yeah, no, don't fertilize them. Wait till uh, this danger of frost is over before you do that. They're under a partial overhang. Oh, that'll help. I mean, two by twos with space in between. Well, yeah, that's somewhat, but it's, is it, uh, what side of uh, of a building is it on? Is it getting reflected heat from a west or a south-facing exposure? It's west. So okay, that's good. We always have partial sun. I've had them for three or four years. They're doing great there. Well, uh, yeah. The These cold temperatures that are coming up Tuesday morning have me worried because I, I can't recall seeing temperatures dipping down into the mid-20s for several years now, and especially this late in the season. This is We're talking February 19th, 20th, and, and 21, where the record lows for those dates are right around freezing 33, 31 degrees, not in the mid-20s. So we're going to be breaking some records here. So that's why I'm I'm throwing uh, all these tips out today about uh, keeping your plants, pets, and pipes safe. I may bring in some of the smaller pots that I just repotted. Good idea. And then um, I hesitate to cover it with frost cloth, although I still have some. No, do it, do it. Well, because of the cactus, I'm... (laughs) Well, can, can you build a little framework or set up some bricks or boards in order to drape it over without getting it caught in the cactus? I know. No, I I could put stakes in the cactus pot. There you go. Okay. The high one. There you go, and then uh, drape it overward. Good, good idea. All right, Sue. Thanks for calling. Appreciate it. Well, thanks for the information. Uh, I would hate to lose any of these guys. Uh me too. All right, congratulations. Now, with with citrus, protecting citrus in cold weather like this, I would go out, and if you have harvestable fruit, if your oranges or mandarins or lemons, if you try one and they say, hey, this is pretty close to being ready, uh, I'd go ahead and pick them. Pick the ones that are ready or nearly ready because when temperatures get down into 25, 26-degree range, you got to worry more about the survival of the tree and the fruit may be toast. Sure, give that tree a good drink of water. Sure, hang some old those old C7 or C9 Christmas lights in it. And sure, put that frost cloth over the citrus tree. Big tip on when you cover a perennial or a small tree like a citrus tree with a frost cloth, make sure the cloth reaches all the way to the ground. Do not secure it at the base of the tree. Let it drape loosely at the outer portions of the tree because you want to reflect the heat that's in the ground back up into the tree at night. And when you make the mistake of making it a bonnet and tying that frost cloth to the trunk of the tree, you're shutting out a lot of area that could normally be very helpful for you. So basically have a big enough frost cloth to cover that small citrus tree and that it drapes enough to the ground, and then you can secure it to the ground uh, at the outer portions of the tree, what they call the drip line of the tree. 
to uh, uh, reflect more of that heat. I'll have more uh, tips for you uh, throughout the morning here on uh, keeping your uh, plants, pets, and pipes safe for the hard freeze that's uh, forecast to happen. Now, I don't know what happened to the rain that was forecast earlier this week. There was rain forecast for our area today and into uh, tonight, but uh, that's gone now. Obviously, looking at the sky, maybe some flurries up in uh, the Sierra. We, we could have used the rain, n- not freezing temperatures in late February. And the next chance of rain looks to be Thursday, a slight chance of rain. But I keep hearing that the uh, this persistent high-pressure ridge is starting to break up and the storm door will start opening as the week goes on. And hopefully by next week, we'll have some rain. Wouldn't that be nice? All right. But I didn't come here to talk about that. I came here to talk about chickens. <laughs> yes, Cherie Sintas Glover <laughs> is here from chickensforeggs.com. And we are raising backyard chickens today. Hi, Fred. Hi, Cherie. <laughs> Hi. Thanks for coming on by. And we're going to keep our chickens warm and cozy. Yes. All right. Before we take a break, give us one good tip. Okay, temperatures are going to get down at, down where you live, down in San Joaquin County in the outer regions. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's going to get down 23, 24, 25 degrees. It is. What are you going to do to protect your chickens? I'm going to feed them some scratch right at dusk, like right before they go down for the night. Okay. Do they actually go down at sunset? They do. They all, If they are out free-ranging, they all kind of single file go back into the coop as soon as that sun starts setting. I might have one or two stragglers. They wait until it's until it's like really dark, but they all go in there. I'll Trouble, go to bed. Troublemakers. <laughs> yeah. All right. The um, okay. So you give them a little extra food to keep yes. them warm. Yep. All right. All right. We'll have more tips for you too when we come back. We'll take that short break. Got a garden question? Got a chicken question? Give us a call nine one six five seven six one five seven eight or toll free eight six six three three one eight two five five. Email sure. Send it to fred at farmerfred.com, and we'll get to your email when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Dave Ramsey here. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And we will have a garden grappler question at 11 o'clock. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. A clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available in the comments section. Uh, talking about today's guest on the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Check that out. Just look for the picture of Super Chicken. The uh, <laughs> And we're talking chickens with Cherie Sintas Glover of chickensforeggs.com, urban chicken consultant, poultry health inspector, and uh, chicken speaker professional. Yes. And you, you spoke last Sunday or Saturday in Stockton. I did. At Talking Baby Chicks. I did. We did a whole class on what to do with your brooder and what to do with those baby chicks when you get them home and the whole nine yards. And then I always stick around for a couple minutes to, to ask mm-hmm. questions and or have you know answer questions yeah. and it's a great hey we can do that here if people yeah. call in at five five seven six one five seven eight in the nine one six area code or eight six six three three one eight two five five email send it to fred at farmerfred.com now we talked a lot about uh, picking chicks and taking care of baby chicks over on the kfpk garden show this morning so if you want some more information about that go listen to that podcast which is available either at kfpk.com or the iHeartRadio app, and or your favorite podcast aggregator, and uh, get some tips there that we may not remember to re-mention 
on this program. Uh, let's uh, delve into the email. People have been sending in some chicken questions coming in. Yeah. Uh, Elizabeth writes in and says, I have six chickens that I picked them for their egg color. Ah. I'm, I'm noticing that I am getting a dark speck in most of the eggs. I've read a number of different reasons for this. Can you share what you know? Oh, very good. Good question, Elizabeth. Um, sometimes people will think that the little dark spot or something that they see is a means that it's a fertile egg, and that's not the case. Uh, if you're looking to see if you have a fertile egg, it's a different kind of like wider spot that's kind of inside the, the yolk layer. Um, so I won't get into that. But there's um, so those kind of spots are just something that comes through um, into the egg as the egg is passing, you know, as it's as it's being developed and as it passes through. Um, sometimes it could be a piece of of organic matter, like like a tissue. Mm. Sometimes it can be um, if they've had any kind of damage to that tract. In, you know, inside that creates the egg. It could be a part of that. I typically, if I find those, I just pick them out with a pair of spoons. <laughs> so <laughs> I'm, I still eat the egg, um, but it really shouldn't matter too much. Is it a, a situation you need to be concerned about the health of the chicken, either the mother or the baby or whatever? No. Or the egg? No, I know <laughs> those eggs. It's, um, it's more or less, you know, there was probably some kind of trauma or something that we can't see. And as long as they're still producing the egg and the egg's not getting, you know, stuck, mm-hmm. then we're okay. So it's it should be perfectly all right. All right. Yeah. All right. Email question from uh, Rick in Roseville, who says, uh, Over the years, I have experimented with ways to control flies in my suburban chicken yard. Things like oh. traps and biosprays. And he says, I have a new idea this year. I bought a Mandis rototiller. I plan to till the chicken area every four days. The idea is to disrupt the life cycle of the fly. Mm. Can you offer any odds that this might help? And also, can you recommend a safe homemade spray for compost piles? Ah, there, I can't do the compost pile. You'll have to handle that, okay. <laughs> the spray. But as far as chickens and flies, um, flies are generally attracted to the moisture that's in the manure that's created or in their bedding. So if you take out the moisture, if you make sure it dries out, then that's good. The only concern that I have about the rototilling is that a lot of people will do the layer method with their chicken litter in their coops and in their chicken runs, which means that you start out with a, a basic layer of, say, pine shavings. Then you, you know, after a couple of weeks or so, you add another layer. You just keep adding on top of it, and then maybe two or three times a year, you clean the whole thing out. But if you're rototilling, rototilling that area, you're also bringing up whatever else is in the soil, which, you know, if he doesn't know what is in the soil, he might be bringing up things into the environment that he doesn't want to bring up that could hurt his chickens, like different protozoa or different mm. um, microbes. So I'm always kind of cautious about that kind of stuff. I think it's always better to, when I scoop, I scoop and we dump it way out. We have a pasture fortunately, where we can go dump that kind of stuff, and it just, it's away from the chickens. I miss my back that. 40. Oh. <laughs> I, wish I, I wish I had a back 40. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I hear it a lot yeah. on the show. Yeah. Yeah. I know. Yeah, <laughs> <you> do. <laughs> I always go, oh, oh. But yeah, so it's, you know, that's, you could also, you know, usually, some people, I think, compost that, you know, the the litter the, that they've just removed from their chicken coop. Um but I'm just I'm just always cautious about the rototilling because I think it is it could possibly bring out other things that he doesn't want to. It's it's re it's it's reactivating these things that might have been tempered down by by doing the layer, layering method. 
But you're totally discounting guy psychology here. <laughs> they have a machine. They have a machine that vibrates and they control. And it like moves stuff and around. And it moves stuff around. Yes. Oh, gosh. Yeah. It's a guy toy. It is. Yeah. I think he's going to have much better luck, though, if he just allows the, it keeps, make sure it's dry, that he's either adding to it or, or shoveling it out on a regular basis. Now, as far as the composting question goes, uh, because, yes, uh, flies can uh, breed in a compost pile Mm. if it's cold. So what you want to do is keep the compost pile warm. How do you do that? One of the better methods for keeping that internal temperature of a compost pile at 120 to 140 degrees, and thus, besides getting compost quicker, you're killing off uh, the larvae of those flies, is to turn your pile frequently. Google the phrase or do an internet search of the phrase, rapid composting method. Mm. Rapid composting method. That was an article written by Dr. Bob Robbie of University of California. And he talks about the, I won't say the perfect composting system, but it certainly is a good composting system where you have three bins that you can shovel uh, in each. And the bins are three feet by three feet by three feet. And one is your raw compost the other is the turning compost, and the third one is the finished compost. And basically what you want to do is turn that compost pile. The more times you do it, the higher the temperature you're going to have up to a certain point. So if you can turn that compost pile once, twice, even three times a week, basically dumping everything from bin number one into bin number two, and then bin number two back to bin number one, you're creating more heat. And the more heat you create, the better chance you're going to kill off the fly larvae and the quicker you're going to get the compost. So you can read all about the rapid composting method uh, there online uh, produced by Dr. Bob Robbie at the University of California. So I think that takes care of that. All right. Another email question, uh, true to the weather we're having or, or will be having, John writes in and says, we just planted two bare root trees, a persimmon and a fig. They look like sticks in the ground for now. Do we need protection from a freeze, or are they okay? Good question, John. Yes, they need protection. It's very thin bark. You're talking about a tree whose caliper right now is a half inch or one inch. Not very big, not much in the way of protection. What you want to do is, if you have old newspapers, take a section of newspaper, wrap it around that tree trunk, covering the entire tree trunk, so you may need some scotch tape to do all this, but use that, use blankets or use cardboard, but you want to wrap the trunk until this uh, cold spell goes by. And it looks like things will get back to normal as far as overnight temperatures. Uh, we're looking at, what, Thursday morning here, I think, is the, the uh, timing on on this from what I can see here. So Tuesday morning, Wednesday morning, danger of frost by Thursday morning, it looks like, uh, let's see here, uh, let me just do the seven-day forecast for you. How's that? For Sacramento, uh, mostly sunny today, 58, low tonight, 33. Sunny tomorrow, 52. Then the overnight low Monday night, 27. Tuesday, 53 for a high, 32 for a low Tuesday night, 57 and clear for a high on Wednesday, overnight low, 36. So, it looks like, and with rain expected on Thursday, the overnight temperatures will stay in the 30s and 40s probably. So we're looking at basically keeping that tree covered or that trunk wrapped uh, through Wednesday morning, okay? And then you should be okay. 
But, uh, yeah, this is a very unusual cold snap we're coming to, just to give you an idea of previous records. February 19th, 20th, and 21st, the records for low temperatures are 33, 31, and 31. And we are going to have temperatures down into the mid-20s. Now, I mentioned that the uh, Tuesday morning low expected to be 27, and that's in downtown Sacramento. You go out to the suburbs, you head south, it's going to fall to 23 degrees. And it's not just going to jump back up either. We're talking about temperatures below 28 for four, five, six, even nine hours. So it's going to be cold. And this is uh, going to be throughout much of Northern California. So be prepared for that. Good. I'm glad I got that off my chest. <laughs> All right. When we come back, uh, what I want to know what people are asking you about chickens when you give your talks and what you're saying to them. All right. All right. And we'll do that. Answer more <laughs> questions of yours, too, as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Patty, it's been... Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. And we're talking chickens with Cherie Sintas-Glover from chickensforeggs.com, urban chicken consultant, poultry health inspector on raising backyard chickens, keeping them warm when it gets cold, and also answering your chicken and garden questions at 916-576-1578 or toll-free 866-331-8255. Email, send it to fred at farmerfred.com. So I noticed that on your website you mentioned you did a class last week on raising backyard chickens. Mm-hmm. And what, what sort of questions do you get at, at those classes? Oh, it can be, you know, sometimes it's what kind of what what kinds of chicks should we choose? You know, how do we tell if something's wrong? Um, sometimes it's, you know, well, what, you know, how do I actually, the most common one last weekend was how do I move those chicks in? How do I introduce them to the already existing chicken oh, flock? Yeah, because yeah, you talked earlier over in the KFBK Garden Show, and I think somebody called in with a question about how can you introduce a chick to a hen and will that hen adopt that yeah. baby? And you kind of said, good luck. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't always work out. Yeah. And then you might come home and have a, baby, a dead chick, unfortunately, because they've just, yeah, they're kind of territorial. But if you, you know, what most people do, so you know that your, your chickens are more likely to be fully feathered by the time they're about two months old or so. Some breeds take a little longer to mature, so it might take a little bit longer. But once they have fully feathered, they're totally good. They don't need the heat lamp anymore. Um, But you want them to be a little bit older before you introduce them to your existing flock. And part of that is because of their immune systems, Mm. because you're trying to wait till they get a little bit older to where they can, if they're exposed to certain things, um, that they can, you know, they can survive it because their systems are older. They've developed that immune system. But also size-wise, so remember chickens are very, they have good eyesight. They can recognize people. So they, you know, they recognize chickens. And so you want to introduce them in a way where the chickens uh, have limited physical contact. They can see each other. They can hear each other. They're around each other, but they are not necessarily in direct contact. And so people can do that in different ways. Um, Like they may have a... Oh, gosh, like a, a, a crate, you know, the wire crates for dogs. Mm-hmm. You could introduce them that way. Oh, so okay. they can All right. yeah. give them some protection. Um, the other thing is that once, because once the chickens are about almost the same size, they can kind of, you know, uh, arm themselves well if they need to, because that, that pecking order in that flock of chickens is going to change whenever you add someone new or take someone away. And so you want to give them a chance to establish that pecking order, and that's figuring out who's the 
who's the top boss? Of those hens, who is the head honcho hen? And so they go through this, and it has to do with food, the prime scratching and you know pecking spots. It can even have to do with how they roost, where they are on that roost, you know, at night, like what where they get to sleep. Um, so you want to introduce those birds in a way that gives them a chance to get to know each other, before, you know, so you won't have as much physical. So the easiest way to do that is make sure they're about the same size as the others? Same size, but you still want to introduce them slowly. It just helps them have a, a, a better chance when kind of defending themselves if they need to. By slowly, would that include just for a few hours at a time? Um, yeah, you could do a few hours a day. You could even, if you have a bigger setup, you could even just put them, some people have a chicken coop that's divided in the middle, even the chicken run. So they're almost living in their own chicken coop, but they're connected. So the mm, chickens can okay. see each other through the right. through the fence. And hiss at each other. <laughs> it's like, you know, and they're in the prison yard, you know. Yeah. And then they have, um, and then when you finally get to, okay, I'm going to introduce this chicken directly with these others. The best thing to do is to introduce them at night. And so literally you go out there when it's dark, you get your new chicken, you place them on the roost. And there is definitely something that they wake up in the morning, they look over and they go, oh, you were supposed to be here, I guess, because oh, yeah. you were here when I woke up. So. You, oh, really? so after the, the <laughs> flock goes to sleep, you introduce them? You put them right there yeah. on the roost and you let them sleep. And then the next morning you check on them, make sure they haven't isolated that chicken in a corner someplace. So. How do you guarantee that they all get equal amounts of food? Mm. When I'm introducing new chickens or I have a larger flock, I always have two food areas. And that way, because they will be territorial, they, the head honcho hen will sometimes keep the other chickens from getting to that feeder. So you won't always have a second option on the other side of the yard or the chicken coop. So that gives them another place to get their feed. And how big should a chicken coop be? Mm, depends on the number of chickens you have. Okay. So if you, if you only have two hens, you don't need as much space, especially if they're foraging. You let them free range, you know, for most of the day. If you have a chicken coop that has a run, so an outside protected area that's fenced in, top, bottom sides, everything, uh, then you can you can keep probably a few more because they have larger uh, larger space, right? So for bantams, they recommend a one foot by one foot square foot space for that chicken. For large fowl, throughout its life. For yeah, a yeah, but most of the time, you, that's just the coop part. Yeah, like you let them out in your yard. Oh, okay, All right. yeah. yeah. Well, that uh, and a, a typical chicken coop is, I mean, they sell chicken coops like on wheels so you can move it around. They do. The chicken yeah. tractors are awesome. <laughs> you can totally, if you have the space, you can move around because chickens will forage and they will scratch and peck and they will be able to clear an area pretty pretty easily. In fact, a lot of gardeners really enjoy chickens at the end of the season because they, they release them into their garden to do all the cleanup chores at the end of the at season the end of the season yes now that brings <laughs> up a question i get a lot on this show will chickens <laughs> control the pests in my garden they absolutely will but but they will partake in some of the yummy things that you're growing yeah. at the same so time there, so there's a, a bug here and a tomato there yes yeah. <laughs> yes oh, do so they eat the whole tomato or just peck at it they will if because one what will happen is they'll peck at it it'll maybe drop and then all the other chickens have figured out that that chicken has found something yummy yeah. they'll all run over there sometimes one chicken will grab the tomato and run off with it <laughs> so it's pretty entertaining then they all kind of then it's a big chase and I can hear the Benny Hill music in the yes. back of my brain watching the chickens what, what what are their favorite vegetable crops to munch on oh um, definitely tomatoes um, zucchinis any of the the lettuce. You know, mm, that greens, okay. Any of the greens. All right. Um, are there any they avoid? Ah, 
I actually have a list. Oh, good. <laughs> because it'd be nice if there were pests in a garden and you knew that they weren't fond of whatever was growing there instead might concentrate on the pests yes. that might be there. Well, a lot, what a lot of gardeners do is they plan on the, they say the first, you know, because chickens can jump up a little bit. So they say, okay, the first, you know, they look at their garden, they go, okay, the first three to three feet are the chickens. So anything that grows three feet or below, it belongs to the chickens. Mm. Anything above that height, it's a little harder for them to get to. They have to be a little more strategic in how they jump and where in order to to get what they want. But, ooh. And the other thing is that if you have tomatoes and you have those horrible worms. Yeah, tomato worms. Oh, the chickens love those. Okay, so actually, I mean, if you <laughs> wanted to, you could pick the worms yourself and then yes. toss them into the chicken coop. Yeah, so I would drown them and then toss them in there. Why drown them? I don't know. I just, they're just, cre- those worm things creep me out and I just wanted them to be dead. Why not so. just clip off the branch they're on and throw it all you in could, into could, the worms? You could totally do that. Or into the chicken coop. Okay, so vegetables that chickens don't like. Yes. All right, maybe so, fruits too. Fruits and vegetables that they don't like. And hold on, okay. see, I'm looking through my my chart. Okay, good paper. <laughs> Girl paper. after my own heart. <laughs> None of this 21st century electric stuff for me. I want paper. Yes. I want trees to suffer to better my life. <laughs> like which one? I, I know the feeling well. That there, there's um, a lot of. Uh, People that are asking about, okay, they will go after worms. So you got the cabbage loopers, the cabbage worms. But I would imagine that the chickens are also going to be eating those greens, too. They, they probably like cabbage. Yes. I would think. They um, they love the cabbage. They love watermelons. So any of the melons you have to be careful with. But mm. they're really awesome if you... Um, if you're done with a watermelon, take out the rind, you know, chop it up, put it out there. They'll go crazy for it. And a lot of people use that as a summer treat where they'll actually freeze freeze those and then put them out um yeah like a popsicle yes yes they love it um but the things to stay away from so number one when it comes to chickens is moldy feed so anything that's moldy you don't want your chickens to have access to Um, and that includes their layer rations Um, other things to stay away from include avocado chocolate um, alcohol obviously i don't think anybody wants any any drunk chickens not even the ones (laughs) that play the piano (laughs) apparently okay no, yeah, not not even those ones. Yeah. Um, the green potatoes and the potato sprouts. Mm, yeah, so, Solanaceae family. Okay, mm-hmm. but but tomatoes are okay. Tomatoes are okay. Right, okay, but the the leaves are not okay on a tomato. Plant. Ah, okay. In, in, so that would go against throwing that entire branch with the tomato worm on it into true. the chicken. Yeah, I don't think it would. That, maybe that's why I was picking those. I'm trying to remember, I just remember picking those horrible worms. I had a glove on, and they are just horrendous. You feel them moving in your hand. Oh, oh, sorry. Hate those things. Um, what else? Let's see. You have peppers. So you want them to stay away from the leaves of peppers, tomatoes, potatoes, eggplants, and rhubarb. Okay. All solanaceae. Okay. All right. <laughs> um, and also raw dry beans, raw peanuts, and tobacco. So apparently if you are... If you're growing tobacco. If you're growing tobacco, don't let your chickens forage in okay. that, in that, uh, All right. that area. Um, and then other things include flowering plants, such as sweet peas, morning glory, angel's trumpet, and jimson weed. Those are all poisonous. Yes. yes. Okay. Yes. So they avoid those. Well, chickens are pretty good at avoiding them, but you may get a chicken that's maybe not as... Uh, Discriminatory? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So you've got to be kind of... Just be careful about those areas and keep an eye on them. Okay. So. All right. So, but there are none that they will avoid by nature. They will eat anything that's edible. Hmm. 
See, I can't, I can't say that that's the case um, because I think chickens are very selective. They, okay. when they're out in the yard, um, uh, when they're out in the yard and they're foraging, they know exactly what they need in order to produce that egg. Mm-hmm. And so they really are looking at that blade of grass. They're looking at that bug. They're finding the things that they need. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean that it'll that they won't necessarily eat something that's bad for them or poisonous. But um, for instance, we have. Uh, Oh my gosh! What are those ones along the highway, the freeway? Those big plants that they've been digging out on the highway. Oleander. Oleander. So we have some oleanders that when we let our chickens out, and uh, you know they will scratch under there, but they don't eat any okay. of it. They're smart. They're smart. All right, good for them. Cherie Santos Glover is here. We're talking chickens and chicken care. Got a chicken question? Give us a call nine one six five seven six fifteen seventy eight or toll free eight six six three three one eight two five five. Or any sort of garden question, because, it, heck, it's Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. It's the President's Day. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. About 10 minutes away from a garden grappler, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred prize closet. Clue available at FarmerFred.com as well as at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. It is chicken-related because we're talking chickens today mm. with Cherie Sintas Glover of chickensforeggs.com. Check out her website, find out about her and her urban chicken consultancy. She's a poultry health inspector. Uh, you do what, 4 H shows, county fairs? I do. So there's different, yeah, they're required. Uh, the California Fairs and Expos is required to hire uh, poultry inspectors for, for their, when they have them on show, mm-hmm. right, in the competition. So. There's a lot of different PHIs, but they hire them and they come in and they, uh, we inspect for um, you know, parasites. We look for just basic health signs. We don't diagnose. We're not veterinarians, but we can help people spot something going wrong. So. so for the next time all of us go to the county fair or the state fair and there's chicken competition going on, mm-hmm. what are the judges looking at? How do, how do you tell a championship chicken? Ah, depends on if there is, if they're being judged for market or for breeding. Oh. So if they are an exhibition um, bird for breeding, so uh, then they're looking at the bird according to the standard of perfection. There's one for bantams and one for large fowl. Large fowl are like your standard size chickens. Bantams are, I guess the best way to describe them is like miniature chickens. So they actually have a standard that they follow. Um, You have to have a purebred recognized breed and variety. Uh, you know, for the for the breeding chickens, for the market animals, they're doing they're using a different criteria. They're looking at um, at how formed certain certain parts are. So, like on a chicken and a turkey, they're looking obviously at the breast. They're looking at the legs, all the marketable parts that you would buy in a grocery store. And uh, so, color of feather has nothing to do with it, or only on the breed part. Okay. So, because they do have standards as far as body type, um, what their plumage looks like, mm-hmm. certain feather patterns. If you have a buff laced, which is where, you know, there's a certain kind of color on the very edge of the feather, it has to be uniform um, across the board, so they they can take points off. You know, for you know, if maybe it's not uniform between you know the head towards mm-hmm. the tail. So yeah, it's pretty. It's serious stuff. Yeah, I would. Yeah, <laughs> is there a breed that tends to win competitions more than others? Hmm. It, you know, that's a good question. I think every show has large classes, so you those are a little more competitive. It's hard to get um, a bird to win because you just you have a lot of competition. But uh, we, waterfowl tends to win a lot. Um, 
trying to think of which one won at the last. There was a PPBA show, which was at the beginning of February in Modesto. There's actually another show in Fresno coming up um, on February 24th. I guess PPA is not the Perennial Plant Association. No, <laughs> it's the Pacific Poultry Breeders Association. Okay. Right. Yeah, yeah. The um, if so, if I wanted to get into the competitive chicken business, mm-hmm. the uh, I, I need to decide for myself, do I want an exhibition chicken or a breeder chicken or a, a meat chicken, I guess? Well, if you're going to like the poultry shows, they're mm-hmm. they're not going to necessarily, they're not going to look at the meat. Um, but if you're at a fair, then mm-hmm. they definitely are because they oh. always have the market divisions. But your typical poultry show is usually a sancti- sanctioned show and um, it could have 3,000 chickens that you're competing with. And they... They have um, they do, they divide the chickens by um, by class and breed, and then you may actually make it to Champion Row, which is where that's where you get your your champion of the show. Is you that, mentioned in a statement waterfowl. Mm-hmm. Is this part of your uh, expertise as well? A little bit. You know, we have a flock of ducks and uh, that are just. I just enjoy them. I like the way they sound, but they're pretty messy. Yeah. <laughs> so I wouldn't keep them necessarily in an urban environment. Um, but waterfowl are just a little bit different. There's n- you, the techniques are sometimes different. They handle water much easily, much more. You know, I would uh, hope you need water. Yes, you need to have some kind of like pond or a little yeah. pool or something for them because they just they love it so much. But you just they're they're a little more hardy in some mm-hmm. ways. Uh, and you have some really great varieties and, and ducks to choose from out there. So you can get bantam ducks and, you know, different sizes. So, really? Yeah. Well, who sells those? There's, um, sometimes you can order them and sometimes you can find a breeder that will sell you his uh, show, his show ducks that he can't use for show and you'll mm-hmm. find them as pet quality. So maybe they, maybe their color isn't exactly right. Maybe they're, they're even on a, a call duck, for instance, their little cheeks, their little duck cheeks have to be a certain size and shape. And if they're not, then they're considered a pet duck, and they can they'll they'll typically sell them to the public. So oh, well, that's you can pick up a pet duck pretty easily. You know, uh, but <laughs> they they would be happier outdoors than having them indoors. I would think. Yeah, I think most ducks are. There's there's nothing like, you know, it's a warm day. You bring out the sprinkler, and you set it up for those ducks, and seeing them frolic in the you know basically a little water waterfall kind yeah. of thing. It's just they're adorable. Do they attack the sprinkler? They get all in there. They're sucking in the water. They're like getting their beaks in there. They're flapping. They're like, it's like the most joyous thing you could ever see besides like baby kittens or something. Now, how the heck though, and this this goes to the subject of biosecurity, mm-hmm. do you keep migrating birds ah. away from your chickens? Well, chickens what, or ducks? Or, well, the, or, both, or, or both. Or either case. I, I would think that migrating waterfowl. Uh, or birds are a possible source of infection uh, mm-hmm. of your domestic yes. flock. You, um, it's it's funny that you bring this up because uh, last year I went out to check on our duck flock, right? And they're just in a pasture, like kind of a secured pasture. And I saw two ducks in there that I didn't recognize. And I kind of looked at them and I took a picture and I was like, and they were just out there hanging out, mm-hmm. eating, you know, doing their thing. And I text, I sent a text to my husband. I said, did you, did you get new ducks by chance? <laughs> And then I thought, well, maybe somebody's dropped them off, but how would they know to put them in this particular pen? So then I went back out, and then I saw them take off and fly away. (laughs) They were a pair of Muscovies, wild Muscovies, that had decided to to stop for a snack. They saw water? They saw, well, a little kiddie pool. (laughs) Okay, well, still. And a food drop, and they they just were hanging out. I thought, oh, my gosh. So... 
it's a big dilemma for chicken keepers because you really do need to protect your flocks, especially from migrating, you know, migratory birds, because they do bring um, certain diseases um, and parasites to your flock. So you really do want to keep them contained, if, if at all possible, at least have a covered outside run, protect them from those birds. Well, that would be a good in. thing to talk about after the news, okay. is, is getting some tips to protect your flock, especially during migratory seasons, mm-hmm. and that's uh, and also from predators as well, yes. for that matter. So we'll talk about protecting your flock, biosecurity. And, of course, a garden grappler's on the way as well, a chance for you to pick up a prize or two. That's coming up after the news. Clue available at FarmerFred.com. Clue available at uh, the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page, there may be a clue available to you right in front of you. <laughs> Seriously, on a Sunday morning, it could be right in front of you. Uh, you'll figure this out when we give you the Garden Grappler quiz coming up uh, after the news, which is coming up next. Don't forget this show available as a podcast from KSDE.com, the iHeartRadio app, or your favorite third-party podcast aggregator. It's Get Growing on KSDE. Dave Ramsey here. Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, it's Garden Grappler time. A chance for you to pick up a prize or two from the Farmer Fred Prize Closet if you're up on some chicken knowledge. And like I was saying earlier, the answer may be right in front of you, especially if you have a fork in your hand. Mm-hmm. Name a way to cook an egg. A lot of people get chickens, backyard chickens, for what purpose? To get eggs. All right. How do you cook an egg? Name a way to cook an egg. There is a clue available at FarmerFred.com. <laughs> a clue available at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Name a way to cook an egg. I tell you. 576-1578 in the 916 area code. 916-576-1578 or 866-331-8255. 866-331-8255. Cherie Sintas Glover is here from chickensforeggs.com. She will ascertain whether your answer truly does cook an egg <laughs> or not. All right. So name a way to cook an egg, win a prize. Caller 5, of course, gets a bonus prize in all this. So while people are, are uh, rummaging through their cookbooks or using a clue at farmerfred.com, let's talk about chicken biosecurity. Mm. And actually, uh Let's talk security in general. There is uh, somebody posted, Caprice posted, at the Get Growing with Farmer Fred Facebook page. Uh, Any advice for chickens that eat eggs and crow-stealing eggs? We had had the same problem with um, ground squirrels and blue jays Mm -hmm. stealing eggs. And they, oh my gosh, they'll peck a hole and then try to eat, you know, or they'll take the whole egg with them. In fact, that's how we caught a lot of our ground squirrels was by using eggs that we put in a big trap. So, um, so first thing is that prevention is, is really the number one thing. You don't want your chickens to ever, ever, ever figure out how yummy and wonderful eggs taste. And to do that, you need to collect the eggs on a regular basis. So don't let them just sit there because then they're tempted, right, Mm. to go in there. So pick them regularly or gather them, gather them regularly. Don't let them, you know, hang out too long. Um, if you have chickens that are trying to sleep in the nesting box and an egg is in -hmm. there still, then there's a chance that they might step on it and crush it. And then they just naturally kind of turn around and they look and they go, oh, what's this? It's, you know, colorful and it's interesting and we're going to now try it and taste it and it's very yummy. Um, so once you have a problem, 
if you do have a problem with that, you've got to figure out which chicken it is and then hopefully isolate it. This is where the chicken cam comes in. This is when that, yes, the chicken cam is like perfect um, Mm. because that that chicken that is eating the eggs will teach the other chickens how to eat the eggs. And then all of a sudden you have a systemic problem (laughs) and you're not getting any of the eggs. (laughs) Your chickens are. Um, They will literally, it'll get so bad that your chicken will literally lay an egg, turn around and eat it. So you don't want to get to that point. Yeah. Um, Some people have had luck with using fake eggs. So they'll get some ceramic or wooden eggs put them in the nesting box. The idea is that the chicken will peck at it and then kind of give up and go away. You'd have to do that early in their career. You'd have to do that early um, and then make sure they never have an opportunity, if at all humanly possible, to to not try one, try mm-hmm. an egg. If Some people feed the eggs back to their chickens as extra protein, but to do that, you need to make sure it's not in the same form as an egg. Uh-huh. Um, I had one chicken a while back that used to go after certain colored eggs. Please don't mention a way to cook an egg. Oh, I won't. Okay, okay all right. I won't. Right. I'm being very, yes, I'll be very careful. Okay. Don't want to give away any clues. Yes. <laughs> there is, um, so they, so chickens will recognize which eggs. So sometimes they'll think, oh, it's just the brown ones. And they go oh, after all the brown ones. Okay. So you just, um, prevention is the number one way to avoid that happening. Because once it happens, it's almost impossible to fix. You had mentioned over on the KFBK Garden Show that some people believe that uh, putting cayenne pepper on an mm-hmm. egg and then uh, giving it to a chicken would dissuade them from eating the egg because of the cayenne pepper. But as you pointed out, they are not very uh, sophisticated when it comes to their taste buds. Correct. When I was in my avian physiology uh, textbook, there is a, they actually did a study where they were comparing... Um, uh, they were looking for sweet and sour kind of mm-hmm. tastes with chickens. and But they found that like a cat has like 3,000 taste buds. Huh. A chicken has 24. Wow. <laughs> so their their sense of taste is not really acute. So um, so things like spicy, they have no, they don't really have any reaction to. So the old wives tale of, you know, filling up, a, you know, take an egg, blow it out, you know, put fill it up with cayenne pepper, then put it back in the coop. It's not really likely to do anything because they're not going to sense it as, as hot, as right. spicy. That just goes down very smoothly. Yes. They're like, oh, wow. there's a red powdery stuff inside of here. Okay. Maybe. Now, how do you keep the flying birds, the crows and things away? Mm. It's difficult. There's, um, you have to be realistic about what you can do biosecurity wise. And uh, part of that means that you have to come up with approach that's going to work for you and your flock and your layout. Uh, so migratory birds are definitely something that can come around, whether they're geese that are flying over and migrating or it's just some other types of you know yard birds. But you want to keep your chickens enclosed and you want to limit. Um, you don't want those birds to be able to get into the coop, right, to get to mm-hmm. the feed or anything else. Um, so just having a covered chicken run will solve a lot of that. Okay. Um, also having um, using the type of fencing that birds can't get through. So like a chain link fence. Um, birds can typically get yeah. through easily. Uh, so you want to keep, you want to try and create that chicken area or your coop or your run, uh, create it and build it in a way that's going to keep those things out. So half inch mesh or quarter inch mesh? I usually go with the hardware cloth. Okay, that's quarter inch and mesh. That's, yeah. yeah, and that's because it's, um, it also helps uh, keep rodents from getting in Mm -hmm. if you use a traditional chicken wire rodents can fit right through that and it's not going to make a difference exactly that's a good point too is that rodents are a big problem can be a big problem Mm -hmm. in chicken coops they can spread diseases there also can be a vector 
for you know when it comes to biosecurity they can track things in they can they can be a host where they um you know maybe they've been outside they've been around places where migratory birds have been and they're running around and they're bringing in you know mites and lice and all those sorts of things into the chickens how big a threat is avian flu oh it's it's for me it's not a huge threat but i think that for our government it definitely is a threat because it's something that could literally lock down the state's um, poultry industry. As far as transporting right. birds and right. bird products right. coast they to coast. They don't want it anywhere near us. Yeah. Yeah. So, and, and that's where biosecurity comes into play. And mm-hmm. I, I know there are a lot of groups that are trying to get an inside view of what goes on at these giant chicken places. Mm-hmm. And they're not allowed in for biosecurity reasons because what they don't realize is, hey, the the shoes of your soles of your uh, mm-hmm. your soles, you know what I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. can track that stuff in and out. You can totally. In fact, one of the recommendations they have even for backyard chicken owners is to have, if you do have people come over, you know, don't have them come over to your chicken coop. You oh, know? really? Yeah. Oh, okay. um, if you do, you know, have a foot bath, um, mm-hmm. which can just be... Uh, they basically, you take a tub and you take an old like bath mat or something, or even a doormat, you put it in the bottom so you can scrape your shoes off okay. and it's like a bleach solution. Um, but having those kinds of um, things in place are what will help protect your chickens in the long run. We can't prevent things a hundred percent, but we can do some things that, that might make a difference. All right. Are any diseases transferable from humans to chickens? Like ah. the flu or colds or? You know, it's funny cause I was at a presentation a couple weeks ago, um, Bed bugs. Bed bugs. Bed bugs like oh, humans and they yeah. like chickens. Wow. Okay. <laughs> so So don't take a chicken to a hotel room. <laughs> right. If you have bed bugs, there's a chance that you your chickens could get them. Wow. So I know. What I do know. you do? You just you have to treat the chicken you have to treat the chickens and and the house. And your house. Yeah. Well, you learn something new every day here, <laughs> I tell you. Um so we've uh, we've solved that problem, hopefully. And with is there too many chickens that one can have? What what is for a family of four? Oh. What's a good number of chickens to have? It depends on how many eggs you eat. So if you are a family of four, and maybe you eat, you know, so you eat two dozen eggs a week. Wow. Okay, I don't, okay. Know, I don't know if that's a lot or not. But well, there's four people. Four people. And then, maybe one dozen? Yeah, let's go okay. with one dozen. One dozen? Yeah. So chickens will typically lay about an egg a day, so or, or between five and six eggs in a week. So you figure if you have a family of four, you could probably get by with having two hens. If you, um, if you now I always try to factor in what you might need to uh, get your neighbor's buy-in because you always want their buy-in when you're having chickens in your backyard, especially in an urban setting. Mm-hmm. So I always add an extra chicken. And <laughs> those those extra eggs will go to good use because your your neighbors will be much less likely to complain about your chickens if, if they're getting fresh eggs. Okay, so that's chicken insurance. Yes. Having that extra yes. one. All right. We'll take a short break. When we come back, we have five people lined up, five people who say they know how to cook an egg. Mm-hmm. Have a backup answer because, as you know, you can't repeat an earlier answer. That's why Caller 5 gets a bonus prize. And so maybe somebody wants to be Caller 6 just in case somebody falters here. 576-1578 in the 916 or 866-331-8255. Garden Grappler Answers coming up on Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. It's the president's...
You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. All right, let's get to your answers on today's Garden Grappler. Today's question, because it's a chicken-related show, name a way to cook an egg. All five callers win a prize. Special bonus prize for caller five. Sarah in Sacramento, you're first up. How do you want your eggs? Over medium. Over medium. <laughs> I have no idea what that means, but it's on this list, on this clue, and I I don't want to give away any other answers. I just find the phrase over medium, I bet, would be confusing to a waitress, I just think. But maybe I'm wrong. I don't know. Sarah, that's a good answer, and uh, I well, you're the judge. Oh, yes. Sheree. Okay. Yes, over medium. My husband actually really enjoys his eggs over medium. Over medium. And I asked him. I actually asked him the other day. I said, what is over medium yeah. exactly? And he said, well, it's not kind of running out, but it's... It's not cooked all the way or something. Okay. Yeah, the yolk is still a little soft. There we go. There you go. Welcome <laughs> to the cooking show. What do we have for everybody? We have for everybody today uh, two tickets to the original Sacramento Home and Garden Show at Cal Expo, March 2nd through the 4th. Fun. Also uh, from the University of California Integrated Pest Management people, how to control weeds in your landscape and controlling ants. So we got you covered there, Sarah. Great. All right. Thanks for calling. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. All right. So we can cross over medium. Off our list of ways to cook, cook an egg. Marilyn in Sacramento, go ahead, give us a way to cook an egg. Uh, I'm going to go with scrambled. Mm. Is, does mm mean that's a good answer, Sheree? <laughs> it is. Okay, oh, all right. It's a good answer. Good. <laughs> no, no, scrambled is a good answer. That's still my favorite way to have an egg, scrambled. All right, I'll be sending you the same stuff I said I'd send Sarah. Okie dokie. All right, thanks, Marilyn. Appreciate it. Thanks, bye. All right. And caller number three, it's Bill in Paradise. Bill, go ahead, cook an egg for us. Well, my favorite is over easy. Okay, and I guess uh, judging by what you just said, Cherie, uh, that would be runny. Is it? I yeah. don't know. I don't know. I don't. I I hardly ever have fried eggs. I always have them scrambled. So okay. I don't know. But yes, I think over easy it does. It's a little more runny, so you can dip your toast. You just gave away an answer. <gasps> oh well. I did. Yes, you did. Yeah. Wait, but we've had those two. Yeah, no, you said something else. See, you <gasps> don't even realize you said it. Oh, no. That's okay. That's all uh. right. Hey, Bill, over easy. Good answer. Uh, I'll be sending you a uh, the uh, tickets to the Sacramento Home and Garden Show at Cal Expo March 2nd through 4th, along with the weeds in the landscape and controlling ants uh, information from the UCIPM folks. Thanks for playing our little egg game today. Very good. Thanks, Brad. All right, Bill. Bye-bye. All right, call at number four. It is Patty in Elk Grove. Patty, we're running out of ways to cook an egg here, but I bet you have one. I do. How about poached? Poached. Ooh. All right. Does that mean it's stolen from the grocery store? <laughs> I <No>? think so. <laughs> I, don't, I don't understand poaching. That's the way my wife likes her eggs, and it involves boiling water, I think. Yes, unless you yeah. use your Instant Pot. Or like a uh, pressure cooker. Oh, really? You yes, you can totally eggs pressure. In a, yeah, in a pressure cooker. Yes. Wow. You can do them another way, but I'm not going to say it because yeah. then I'm going to give away an answer. Thank you. Yes, don't do that. <laughs> all right. Hey, Patty, I'll send you all that stuff. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye bye. All right. Call at number five in today's garden grappler. It's Amy in Sacramento. Well, Amy, we've had our eggs over medium, over easy, scrambled, and poached. Do you have another way to cook an egg? Boiled. Boiled egg. Cherie? Oh, there we go. She said the magic word. Oh, hard-boiled? Yeah. Okay, hard-boiled. All right. Good answer. And I have for you a wonderful children's book called Oh, the Plants You'll Grow. It's a young person's guide to the garden center, so it would be nice for you to read to children or grandchildren or or strange kids on the street. (laughs)
Thanks, Amy. So I'll send you that book. Okay. All right. Thanks for calling. Uh-huh. All right. Bye-bye. All right. So there. Yeah, it's a, now, yeah, you you mentioned earlier when you're talking about uh, you've never had a fried that egg. Was what I was yes. like, oh, my gosh, which one did I give away? Yeah, fried egg. Because I think of all those over easy and those over medium. That's all yeah. fried eggs. Yeah. You're too late, John. Yeah, I kind of figured that. But I was struggling anyway. We come up with, uh, what what'd you say what the last one was? Scotch eggs. Scotch oh. eggs. That's interesting. Yeah. yeah, I don't. I don't know how it's cooked. It sounds like an Irish, uh, a Scottish dish, and you stir it into a shot glass with something, but I'm not sure. That sounds about right. Yeah, <laughs> that, that, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah. No, nobody said. Nobody said omelets. Um, nobody said hash browns or, or not hash browns, but just hashes or. Uh, uh, what else is there? Base, basted. What's a basted egg? Basted. What's a shirred egg? S H I R R E D. But that is uh, one way. It refers to a flat bottom dish in which they're frequently cooked. Hmm. Is a shirred egg. But but John, hmm. that's not why you called, is it? No, no, because I'm, I'm sure I didn't need an egg right now. Okay. Um, <laughs> I, but I understand that salmonella and and staph diseases and stuff are often or can be passed by eggs. And I wondered what would a backyard chicken farmer mm-hmm. uh, do to prevent that kind of stuff, if, especially if you're going to use them as bribes to the neighbors. Oh, right, right, right. You bring up an interesting kind of thing. Now, this is only if your neighbor promises to save their old egg cartons for you. Right, <laughs> right, right. You need the egg cartons. That's the important part. <laughs> it was... Yeah, yeah. It's interesting because the um, I think it was the USDA that said that the the there actually is a rise of salmonella um, uh, of people backyard chicken hobbyists that are um, coming down with occurrences of salmonella, but it's not necessarily because of the eggs. It's because um, they've had problems with people um, handling the chickens, kissing their chickens, like doing funny things, and then not and then not washing like washing their hands after they've handled the chickens. So. Like, for instance, if you go to sometimes um, so kids, kids with the baby chicks, they mm. love to hold them up close to their face. And they say, no, don't do that. Um, so it's it's not necessarily because of the eggs. Um, salmonella, you can actually have your eggs tested um, to see if they carry salmonella. There's Or your chickens tested. There are um, diagnostic labs, actually, in California. Uh, Turlock is the avian, more avian-dedicated uh, lab and then also UC Davis. So, if you ever had an, uh, a salmonella outbreak, you could actually go see if your chickens are carriers hmm. um, because they can shed it. So it's. Um, do you have that information on your website? I don't. I need to put it on there. Or actually, I do have the information regarding the labs. Okay. Um, the labs are an awesome resource, uh, and I think they charge. There is a small fee. It's twenty dollars, and you can submit up to two birds, two specimens, and uh, you can even FedEx them. So if they've, um, <laughs> the reason you FedEx them is because uh, they're usually not existing. They're they're dead at that point. Oh, okay. Um, they do necropsies on their um, specimens, and they'll do all sorts of lab tests, and you'll actually get a fantastic report back that describes what, if you've had a chicken die, you know, what's gone on with it? Did they find any tumors? What did they grow in their Petri dishes, you know, at, right. as a result? So. so for more information, people... Can visit your website. Oh, totally. And they can email me if they want, and, and I'm more than happy to, to direct them to, and, to the labs. <coughs> excuse me. The website is chickensforeggs.com, and the email address is chickensforeggs at gmail.com. Gmail.com, All right. yes. Well, John, Thanks, oh, I, I hope you have an eggy day. 
Achy <laughs> <laughs> breaky heart. Uh, th- <laughs> Thank you, Good father of young singer. Let's, uh, <laughs> who am I thinking of? Elvis Presley. No, 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 I don't no, know. no, no. Oh, I know. Oh, it's going to drive me nuts now uh-oh, until I can uh-oh. think of Achy breaky heart singer and his daughter. Oh my! God. Was he a country singer? Yeah, yeah. It's the only hit he had. Uh, and his daughter went on to more fame. Oh, there we go. Oh my gosh, I can picture him and his his mullet. Yeah. He had a mullet. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. Yes, uh, we'll figure yeah, this yeah. out. That's why we have the internet here. Yeah. But uh, we have to wrap things up here. Uh, well, for you, I'm you get to go home. I, me, I'm going to talk. <laughs> I'm going to talk about good turf substitutes. About uh, if you're tired of a of having to water a lawn three times a week, well, there are substitutes available that look like turf and don't require half the water that your current lawn may require. So we're mm-hmm. going to be talking about that. Also, uh, more advice about uh, cold weather freeze tips. Hard freeze expected for our area come Tuesday morning. I'll have tips for you. So that's coming up in the last half hour of Get Growing here on Talk 650 KSTE. And Cherie sent us Glover. I appreciate you uh, coming here and answering everybody's chicken questions. Thank you for having me. I and, appreciate it very much. And check her out her website, chickensforeggs.com, to find out where she's appearing next. Yes. With- yes, classes will be ongoing this spring, um, and I'm developing a Patreon page so that people can actually subscribe to consultations via via the web. Oh, okay. And, That's cool. Um, Facebook is always a great thing, too. Okay, you got a Chickens for Eggs Facebook page. I do, I All do. Right. And they can link to that from chickensforeggs.com. Mm-hmm. All right. I appreciate your efforts. Thank you. Thank you, All Thank right. you Fred. All right, we're talking <laughs> turf when we come back to Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. Dave Ramsey here. It- Get Growing continues with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Well, with the drought returning, it means people are going to have to watch their watering. Heavy fines may be coming down for all that water that goes down the gutter. And a lot of people want to know, well, I want something that looks like a turf but uses less water. Well, there just might be some uh, products available. We're talking with Ed Zuckerman, one of the owners of Delta Bluegrass Company in Stockton. And, Ed, let's talk about some of your uh, typical turf substitutes that you carry now that are uh, being installed in landscapes throughout Northern California. Sure. Thanks, Fred. Um, 10, 12 years ago, we started uh, a line of California native grasses, which uh, have an ET factor of at least 0.5. Um, and they're, they're doing very well. They're, they're performing as advertised, and uh, they're growing in favor as water awareness around the state is, again, coming to the forefront. Before you go on, explain to people what an ET rating of 5 means, or 0.5. 0.5 means uh, it's it's basically ET is evapotranspiration, and one being turf grass, or or a hundred percent of evapotranspiration, giving the plant exactly what it needs. Uh, some plants, uh, and we're looking for plants and grasses that that perform well at less than optimum ET of 1.0. So when I say 0.5 or 0.6. It does well on about half the water that uh, you would normally apply. So in many parts of the Central Valley during the summertime, the average uh, evapotranspiration per week is about two inches. So these turf substitutes could get by on, on one inch of water a week. You're spot on. You're spot on. Of course, 
new plantings always take a little bit more water to establish, but once established, our biggest challenge has been to have people not water too much. Now, you have a couple of mow-free varieties. You've got a native one and a non-native one. What's the difference between the two as far as their growth pattern or adaptability? Well, in the native mow-free, um, the native varieties are varieties that have been around California in their native state since before 1830. That's the, that's the common definition. Um, the other, in our conventional mow-free, uh, they are, they're all a mix of, of fine fescues. But uh, fine fes- fescues in our native mofri are unimproved native plants. Um, the, the varieties in our conventional mofri are improved varieties that have been, that have been bred uh, in, in different, different breeding programs around the country. And what is their ET rating and how tall do they get and how often do they have to be mowed, if at all? Well, one of the, one of the beauties of having a mofree grass is that many people don't mow them at all and when you have all of that all of that uh, grass material think of think of a grass blade as a solar cell uh, they become a very drought tolerant uh, and don't require a whole lot of water it seems kind of counterintuitive but when you don't mow it it seems to uh, have enough build build up of carbohydrates in the roots and plant structures to withstand uh, severe drought and it doesn't grow that tall either does it no, it grows up three to five inches and then kind of lays over in, in a nice metal-like look. Uh, we've, we've carefully blended uh, the mofree blends with um, different types of tall fescues so you don't get one look. We have a creeping tall fescue, we have a, a bunch-type tall fescue, and then we have a regular, like a molotti uh, blue fescue that, that kind of uh, gives the turf... Uh, Basically, once it's, once it's growing, it looks kind of like a, a green ocean. The, one of the, of the other differences, I think, between the non-native and the native mofri, isn't one of them more tolerant of shade? Um, I would think that they're all, they're all tolerant of shade. Uh, and there again, they're more tolerant of shade, uh, do better in shade in an unmowed state because it can capture that much more light that's available. No real turf grass, no cool season turf grass, uh, even, t- even uh, fine leaf fescues do well in much, much more than uh, or much less than uh, 40% sun. So if you're, if you're trying to grow turf in less than 40% sun, uh, it's going to be a challenge or you have to tolerate a little bit of thinning out. Exactly. Those big trees that are overwhelming the landscape, maybe it's time for a trim. Correct. All right. Now, there's something else in the uh, Delta Bluegrass Arsenal now for people who want a uh, turf substitute, something that's going to use less water but can take traffic and looks nice. And uh, you're now on the Carapia bandwagon. Right. We have been for quite a while. We've had it in our research plots for uh, at least five years. I saw this uh, plant material in a uh, drought field day at UC Riverside and was very impressed with it. Uh, contacted the breeder and the the owner of the variety and started growing it in our test plots and have had it and we really like what we saw uh, it's very very drought tolerant it lends itself to a sod product so we harvest it just like regular turf uh, but it is a broadleaf and uh, it's interesting looking it's a actually it's a sterile form of of lipia nautiflora uh, which some people consider to be very invasive 
um, and it kind of fell out of favor years ago in California. But since it's since this particular type is not is sterile, it doesn't really have the spreading effect that uh, the the older Nautiflorus had. Now, for those who may be wondering about uh, the spelling of Carapia, we are saying Carapia, despite what you may be thinking. It's K-U-R-A-P-I-A. And uh, how much traffic uh, can it take and uh, how much watering does it need? Well, the traffic aspect of it is it's probably, uh, it's very low maintenance. It, it doesn't tolerate a great deal of traffic, although we've got it planted outside uh, our office in kind of a test plot and a lot of our workforce walk across it every day. Uh, one of the nice things about it, uh, even where it does, where you do have wear spots, it grows back very quickly. It's a very dense, um, very dense foliage, and uh, during the summer growing months, grows back very quickly. The water requirements are as good as native sod, and at least 0 0.5, 0 0.6 of ET once it's established, which means, uh, you know, we tell people to water it maybe once a week, once it's established. In the summertime. In the summertime. And um, it seems to do very, very well. The roots will go down and get the water, and uh, it's gaining a lot of favor. Um, uh, people are, currently, we're, we're sold out and waiting for new crop to come in. Well, now let's point out, though, that it does flower, and those flowers attract bees, but there's some ways around that if you don't want the bees, right? Correct. Uh, a lot of people, especially in, I'll say, industrial or commercial applications, uh, will let the flowers go, and it does attract bees. There's a, just a, a, a plethora of, of flowers between May and September, uh, and you will have a lot of bees, but if you have young children or, or, or are allergic to bees, uh, a weekly mowing uh, takes care of that. Virtually 99% of the flowers uh, uh, are, are kept, kept to a minimum or are gone with, with a regular mowing. Now, for those who want to attract bees and they want to grow carapia, what's the eventual height of it? It will grow two to three inches and is very low growing. So it really doesn't look like a... Uh, uh, it, it'll kind of keep a lawn-type look. Uh, and then, um, you know, before, before the, uh, uh, we, it doesn't do well. One of the things that, one of the drawbacks of it, it doesn't do well in uh, temperatures below, say, 17 degrees. And if you have temperatures that freeze hard, like we don't recommend it for the Sierras, uh, but we've had, we've had temperatures below 20 degrees uh, on our farm. And uh, although it burns, burns the foliage back a little bit, uh, it grows back very quickly uh, when on, with the onset spring temperatures. Is carapia primarily for full sun environments? Full sun, partial sun. I, I would say that uh, I have it uh, in my backyard under a Japanese maple. And uh, although in the very shadiest areas, what happens is it thins out and the leaves on it get much larger. Kind of typical of a, of a broadleaf plant. So it's trying to capture all the available sunlight. So uh, I would say it's moderately successful, probably just as successful as turf grass would be under a, under a, uh, a very shady environment. With a lot less watering and a lot less care. A lot less, yeah. Della Bluegrass, based in Stockton, they sell sod and seed to a lot of your favorite nurseries. You can uh, look for them online at deltabluegrass.com and uh, look into their 
mow-free native and uh, non-native mow-free turf substitutes that use a lot less water. And they can take traffic as well, can't they? Oh, sure. Yes. All right. They do very well. Ed Zuckerman, one of the owners of Delta Bluegrass. Nice to see you. Thanks, Fred. Appreciate it. Appreciate it. When we come back, I've got freeze tips for you. Hard freeze predicted for Sacramento and much of Northern California, especially on Tuesday morning. How to protect plants, pipes, and pets coming up as we continue with Get Growing on Talk 650 KSTE. So I've been seeing Matt. You're listening to Get Growing with Farmer Fred. Talk 650 KSTE. Here again, Fred Hoffman. Nice day today. There's no question about that. Uh, With uh, highs uh, up near 60 degrees, 57 to 60 degrees. Overnight lows tonight, not too bad depending upon where you are, but near freezing, but a little bit above freezing in the urban areas, a little bit below freezing in the suburban areas. The day to worry about is Tuesday morning and for many of you, Wednesday morning as well. Widespread freezing temperatures are likely those two days. The National Weather Service has issued a freeze warning. It's a very cold air mass that originated in western Canada. Curse you, Vancouver! Uh, Beginning to move into northern California tonight. The coldest temperatures are expected Monday night into Tuesday morning with another night of freezing temperatures Tuesday night and Wednesday morning. Widespread frost is expected. Agricultural impacts could be significant due to an early bloom from unusually mild weather in recent weeks, as you well know. If you have fruit trees, they're probably in bloom. And also, right now, plan on ways to protect your sensitive plants, your outdoor pets, and exposed pipes. Now, this is a rather large freeze warning, and I want to point out the National Weather Service is calling this a freeze warning. It's not a freeze advisory. It's not a freeze watch. It's a freeze warning, and that's the most critical of all the warnings. That means that Sub-freezing temperatures are imminent. And they're talking about overnight lows from 24 to 32 degrees in effect from 2 a.m. Monday to 8 a.m. Wednesday. The coldest will be Tuesday morning with widespread lows in the mid to upper 20s. And this is the part that's most dangerous. Several hours of sub-freezing temperatures possible. And freezing temperatures can damage or kill plants that are sensitive to cold For those of us that have been babying tomato or pepper plants through the winter, amazed that they've survived this far, the party's over, more than likely. Say goodbye to them unless you have some way of of, uh, protecting them to a great deal. Because let's face it, they're stressed right now, and more stress like this will probably do them in, but that's just the natural order of things. They should have died two months ago. But let's enjoy it while they have it if you want to try to save them. Two strategies for all your plants with these temperatures uh, being in the mid-20s on Tuesday and Wednesday morning, and that's water your plants. Water the soil. Hydrated soil, soil that's wet, maintains heat better than dry soil. It maintains the roots better, too. During the overnight low temperatures, that water tends to get released overnight as heat. And it helps warm the understory of the plants while keeping the root area of the plants from getting too cold. Dry soil equals drier temperatures, colder temperatures. So moisten the soil. Give it a good drink of water, especially on Monday uh, before uh, the afternoon goes by too much on Monday. Give all your plants a good drink of water, especially your container plants. And if you can move those containers 
to an area where they may get some protections on the south or a west-facing wall, or move them indoors. If it's a if it's a plant, you can move, obviously, if it's in that size of container. Um, this, By the way, this freeze is being predicted for quite a big area of northern California. It's including, starting from the north, Shasta Lake, northern Shasta County, northern Sacramento Valley, central Sacramento Valley, the southern Sacramento Valley, that would be us, the Carquina Strait and Delta area, the northern San Joaquin Valley, Clear Lake, southern Lake County, the northeast foothills of the Sacramento Valley, and the Motherlode. And it includes the cities of Shasta, Redding, Red Bluff, Chico, Oroville, Marysville, Yuba City, Sacramento, Fairfield, Sassoon, Stockton, Modesto, Lakeport, Paradise, Grass Valley, and Jackson. That's one heck of a big area. What is so unusual is the lateness of this freeze. It's February. Today's the 18th. And this freeze, they're talking about going through Wednesday, which is what, the 21st? Yeah. And that just doesn't happen. To give you an idea, the record low temperatures on February 19th, 20th, and 21st for Sacramento are 33, 31, and 31. I imagine all three of those records will get broken over the next three nights. Uh, And because of the way plants have progressed, because of these unusual 70-degree days, well, you may lose some blossoms. You can try covering the plant, and that's strategy number two, besides watering your plants, is protecting your plants with some sort of cover, and that would be frost cloths, a heavy-duty frost cloth if you can find them. And if you realize that today you don't have any frost cloths and you want some, you head to the nursery before they sell out. You can also use blankets. As long as, especially, it's not going to rain. The rain is not in the forecast. So it's actually okay to drape a blanket over a sensitive citrus tree. It'd be better if you could support it with some sort of PVC pipes or some sort of support so it's draped over the plant and not touching the, the plant. But figure that the cold could be transferred through that blanket to the leaves it's touching and damage those leaves, which would be minor damage. When it comes to citrus, if you go out today and sample the citrus and it seems ready or near ready, harvest that fruit. You don't want to lose that fruit. Fruit, Citrus fruit is usually hardy, depending on the variety, to 28 to 30 degrees, but it depends on the fruit. Limes are more sensitive to cold than, say, mandarins. Mandarins could be hardy down to 26 degrees. Limes, lemons, more like the low 30s. So harvest the fruit that you can. And again, strategies for protecting your citrus include covering the plant. And as I mentioned earlier, I forget if it was on this show or the KFBK Garden Show, when you drape a cover over a plant, don't secure it to the trunk. Leave it draped loosely over the entire plant so that the cover is falling at the outer edges of the plant because you want to be able to gather the heat from the soil that's below Whereas if you tied it to the trunk of the tree, you've eliminated that possibility. And you want that warmth from the soil. So let it drape and make sure that your row cover cover or your frost cloth is large enough so that it hits the ground. If you just have a a frost cloth that's just covering the canopy of the tree, leaving the trunk exposed, the cold is just going to go right underneath it. So you want that frost cloth to go all the way to the ground. Trunks of new trees. If you planted deciduous fruit trees in the past month or so those tender trunks need to be protected 
And one of the best ways to do that is just to wrap a section of newspaper around the trunk of the tree and then remove it, say, on Wednesday afternoon when it looks like most of this frost and freeze situations will end and we'll get back to more normal overnight lows in the upper 30s to low 40s. But wrap the trunks, of, especially of young trees, young citrus trees, cover them. Don't forget to hydrate the soil, except for succulents. We talked about this earlier. With succulents, you don't, don't want to flood the soil because then they would spend today absorbing all that moisture, and then those leaves could burst when it gets down into the 20s. So we're, don't water your succulents, basically. Let them stay dry until afterwards. But the rest of the, especially container plants, will need that water. Uh, disconnect your hoses, your drip lines. Take off the caps of any Y filters on your drip systems. If you have Y filters on, on your sprinkler valves for drip systems, undo that bottom cap and let them drain so that that Y filter doesn't get damaged. Um, other tips for that. Don't forget to tighten it back up after Wednesday as well. Otherwise, you'll have a flood next to your house. The uh, pipes in your house, if you have copper piping and you don't have much insulation around those pipes, figure out a way to insulate them, especially if they're running through the attic. There are a foam tubing you can buy that goes around that copper tubing. You don't want water pipes bursting, and that includes your outdoor pipes as well, your outdoor PVC pipes. If you have a fountain, let it run through the night, through the cold periods. If you have a spa or a pool filter, let that run as well. Moving water doesn't freeze, and you don't want damage to your pool equipment, your spa equipment, or your fountain equipment. For your pets, make, bring them in at night. Give them some protection. Make sure their water isn't frozen in the morning, and that's true with the bird bath as well. Make sure to break up any ice so the birds can get to the water in the morning. They don't mind drinking cold water, but they, they, they can't peck through ice very well. So break that up so that you can um, keep the bird population happy there. And if you have any uh, dead branches after a frost, if you get some top growth death on your uh, perennials especially, leave that dead growth there because that will help protect the understory just in case there's another weird freeze coming our way between now and the end of March. Typically, end of March is the end of our freeze season, but the usual 50% Freeze time is uh, December and January. These February freezes are very unusual, so take care this week on those. Stay tuned for the KSTE Farm Hour. That's coming up next. Uh, We'll do this all again next Sunday morning, 10 to noon. Debbie Flower, horticultural consultant, will be here. And again, I thank you for listening to the show. Without you, there would be no Get Growing, and I appreciate your support all these years. Have yourself a great week. Stay warm. Bye-bye. When I'm looking for 